we last time had uh, said that uh, we had finished this uh, course uh, going through the various uh, tenet systems, uh, presentations of the self and the uh, voidness of the uh, self and uh, how that fit into their general assertions about uh, voidness and uh, how things are, how we do establish the conventional existence of things and false ways of uh, trying to establish them. But uh, there were, uh, we had finished up with a uh, brief presentation of the Prasangika view. But I uh, have uh, been thinking about it and there were a few more points that I wanted to add. So we'll have this as an additional lecture on it. What we were speaking about uh, in the uh, last lectures, the last talks, was the relation between the whole and uh, parts. And uh, a whole is an imputation on the parts. And uh, in the past, if you remember, we had made a distinction between uh, uh, imputation, mental labeling, or mental label, and uh, designation. And uh, when uh, using those terms within the Sautrantika system, uh, an imputation of, uh, you know, an imputational phenomenon was uh, something which uh, was uh, objectively real, according to the Sautrantika view, things like uh, motion and uh, uh, the self, that these had uh, objective uh, reality, age, these sort of uh, things. And uh, mental labeling, so these uh, imputational phenomenon can be known non-conceptually. You can actually see things uh, that are moving. And uh, we saw that uh, as an, uh, an imputation cannot exist or be known separately from a basis for imputation. You can't uh, um, know motion without, uh, or observe motion without uh, observing some object which is uh, in motion, for example, and you can't know a person without there being some basis of a person, a mind, or a body, or something like that, personality, etc. Um, <laughs> bank account. <laughs> uh, we uh, then spoke about mental labeling. Mental labeling is uh, with concepts, uh, basically categories, and they're only known conceptually, like the category dog, with, uh, with all the individual items that are dogs. And uh, there needs to be always uh, individual items that are uh, um, parts of this uh, set of a uh, category. But uh, that's not always the case, because there's also the set, uh, what would be called a null set, that uh, doesn't have any items that are in it, which, for instance, they can have the concept or the category of uh, truly established existence, you know, from a prasangika point of view, a madhyamika point of view, and that doesn't have any um, items which are uh, members of it. But uh, in general, uh, there has to so there has to be a basis for imputation. Um, in the case of uh, truly established existence, there would be your concept of 
not your concept, but uh, uh, mental images which uh, represent truly established existence, but uh, which are uh, just, uh, you know, like that, but not really actual uh, examples of truly established existence. And then designation was with words, and words have to have, refer to, uh, also they're known conceptually, and they refer to some meaning or uh, something. You can't have a word unless it has a, a meaning. Otherwise, it's just an arbitrary sound. So we made that distinction. And uh, we saw that uh, from the uh, Prasangika point of view, all of these uh, three are, have the same type of mechanism, that uh, there is uh, something which is being imputed. There is uh, a uh, basis for imputation. And then there's what that uh, imputed thing refers to. And what it refers to would be actual conventional objects. We saw that everything is uh, described in terms of that. And that includes uh, whole and parts. A whole is an imputation on parts. And a whole cannot exist uh, separately from parts. And then we went into a huge long discussion of how do you actually know uh, or see a whole object on the basis of parts. How much and how many of the parts do you have to see, etc., uh, etc. Et and that led to the uh, discussion of uh, uh, defining characteristic marks. And the defining characteristic marks, like a barcode, uh, we saw that uh, in, uh, in terms of sense perception of things, that uh, the... Uh, Various schools, other than Prasangika, said that the uh, defining characteristic mark of the whole was findable in each of the parts, which are the basis for imputation. And when we look at that in terms of uh, the self, that uh, they said that uh, the defining characteristic marks of the self was found on the side of, uh, in terms of... Uh, Vaibhashka was a little bit complicated because uh, you perceive the uh, self uh, by itself separately from the uh, defining character, from the basis. But uh, for the others, uh, Sautrantika said that the defining characteristic of the self was found on the side of mental consciousness. Chinamatra said it was found on the side of uh, foundation consciousness, Alia Vijnana. And uh, Svatantrika said that it was, uh, they concur with the uh, Sautrantika position that it's on the side of mental consciousness. And uh, Prasangika says, no, it's not on the, the side of that. Um, and Chittimatra said in conceptual consciousness, it was on the side of the category, not on the side of the object. I mean, there are all these variants that uh, were there. But uh, Prasangika says, no, uh, that uh, the uh, even the defining characteristic mark is merely established by convention. That uh, group of people decide, you know, what is the defining characteristic mark of love or, you know, what are the definition of love? What is the definition of liking someone? What's the definition of, you know, this or that, a human versus a Neanderthal or whatever. So that is arbitrarily set up uh, by convention. Now, the uh, Prasangikas then 
are saying that uh, the defining characteristic mark is not found anywhere. It's not findable. There's no findable, uh, findably self-established existence, you know, from the side of the object, either from the side of the whole or from the side of uh, any parts. So you can't say that uh, the, uh, you know, all you can say is that uh, the whole and the parts are, have the same essential nature. You know, in other words, when you perceive it, you perceive the, uh, you know, both the whole and the parts, but have um, uh, individual conceptual uh, isolators, you know, that you can conceptually isolate the whole and the parts, or the, the basis and the, uh, what is in, uh, basis of imputation and the imputation. So, this is uh, significant in terms of uh, the um, analysis of uh, one or many, you know, which is used to uh, refute uh, self-established existence. Because uh, if the uh, defining characteristic mark of the self or the whole was found on the side of the basis, you know, in one of the aggregates, then the whole and the parts part would be identical. So that's the uh, extreme of uh, one. They would be identical. That uh, the self is identical with the um, with the mind, basically, because uh, the defining characteristic uh, mark of the uh, self would be on the side of the mind, and if the uh, defining characteristic mark of the self were on the side of the self, not on the side of uh, any of the aggregates, then you would have the uh, extreme of uh, many or different, that it would be then totally unrelated to uh, the parts, because uh, it would be self-established by itself, uh, you know, with its own defining characteristic mark independently of the parts. So this whole discussion that we've been having of uh, defining characteristic marks and uh, are things established by their defining characteristic mark, their existence established by it, and so on. This leads, I think, to a much deeper understanding of this refutation of neither one nor many. You know, otherwise you have, uh, you know, just a very tri trivial thing. I'm not the same as my mind. I'm not the same as my nose. I'm not different from my nose. And so what? It doesn't really... Uh, go deeply enough to make any sort of impact because that seems fairly obvious that I'm not my nose. But uh, if we understand, you know, this whole sequence of, uh, you know, how you get to the understanding of uh, imputation and defining characteristic marks and what that actually means and how that works, then uh, you see that uh, it's exactly the same. You know why Tsongkhapa says that you know the you know the voidness of the self and the voidness of all phenomenon. You know what you need to understand for gaining liberation or enlightenment is the same. It's not uh, that you gain liberation with uh, just understanding that the self is not uh, a. Uh, um, static, partless, independent uh, phenomenon that can be understood independent, independently, 
were known independently from the aggregates. The others said that that was enough for gaining liberation. But uh, Prasangika Tsongkhapa says no, that uh, you need the basic understanding of uh, uh, imputation. You know, things are uh, dependent arising and void of being self-established to gain both. And you can see that the structure of the relation between the self and the aggregates and the whole and parts is exactly the same. That the whole is not identical with the parts and it's not separate from the parts just as the self is not identical with the basis, with the mind, or separate from the mind. So this is uh, one of the things that I wanted to uh, add. Why don't you take a moment to digest that? That's uh, really actually quite profound. But that would be how you actually do the meditation on neither one nor many to refute the uh, true existence, uh, self-established existence. If the defining characteristic mark of the whole were found in the parts, then the whole and the part would be identical. And if it was found on the side of the whole, then the whole and parts would be completely different and separate. So neither possibility works. Therefore, the only alternative is that the defining characteristic mark is not found in either of them. Or both. Pardon? Or both. Or both. Neither one nor many, neither both nor neither. This type of uh, thing. Okay, this is obviously something that one needs to work with uh, quite a lot in uh, meditation. But uh, to go further, since I'd like to include everything in this lecture, <laughs> not, have, uh, not have this go on and on, it, if you understand that uh, nothing has self-established existence, and the only thing, you know, but, and to understand that correctly, Tsongkhapa says, that uh, you need to understand that this means dependent arising, dependent arising in terms of mental labeling. So, how does that actually work? And the way that it works, um, as far as I understand now at this point, is that words are like, excuse me, do you know a cookie cutter? It is a uh, little tin um, thing. Ausstechform for Plätzchen. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> right, it's a little tin thing with a handle in the shape of whatever shape you want to have for the cookie and you have a big piece of dough and you stamp it into that and cut out uh, the dough into the shape of the cookies. So this is generally the way that uh, our mind works in terms of uh, categories which have words attached to them. So we and Everybody has their own, you know, we have a uh, um, shared set of cookie cutters in terms of our language uh, that uh, we share with other people in our, uh, who speak the same language. And we, for many of us, for many of the uh, cookie cutters, we have our own personal ones that uh, we use in uh, uh, our own daily lives. It could be a personal one of people that we know, but it can also be our personal uh, cookie cutter of uh, love or, you know, whatever, how we uh, understand it. So this is what our mind does. But uh, the shapes, cut out shapes, self-established by themselves are not on the side of what's going on all around us and ourselves. It's not that way. So then it's so then the question is, is it arbitrary? You know, because you have a big uh, problem with uh, uh, what is the difference between reality and fantasy? Is there any difference? And I was just reading a book while I was on a holiday called Fantasyland, which is really very, very uh, helpful. It uh, traces the whole idea uh, in America, actually, from the very beginning, that uh, the boundary between reality and fantasy was not really, you know, firm at all. And uh, now it's become, you know, so what we have now in terms of fake news and uh, virtual reality and uh, being an avatar on a, a video game and uh, all of these things, your Facebook profile, uh, whatever, and television shows and reality TV and all of that is uh, it blurs that distinction between reality and fantasy uh, even more. So, you know, and it's starting with movies and, you know, all of the other stuff. So this becomes, you know, to get back to uh, what uh, Tsongkhapa was uh, getting out in uh, Lamrim Chemo, you know, what we were talking about before we uh, had this uh, uh, extra course, is that uh, from the point of view of cookie cutters, that any type of cookie cutter is deceptive because uh, that's not really the way that things are, you know, dependent arising is dependent arising on causes and conditions and parts and the, you know, how you cookie, how you, uh, what type of cookie cutters you use, mental labeling. So um, from one point of view, all conventional truth, conven conventionally true objects, which would be, you know, um, well, yes, there is a dog and there is a cat and there is a difference between a human and a Neanderthal, and a difference between loving someone and liking someone. 
uh, all of that, that conventional reality, you would say is deceptive. It's false. And this is the position that you have in the uh, non-Kalupa schools. And it was particularly strong at the time of Tsongkhapa. And this was what he was refuting. He was saying that, yes, from one point of view, there, you know, whether it's reality or fantasy, it's deceptive. But still, you have to say that, you know, there is a difference, you know, from the point of view of how things exist, they're all deceptive. But from the point of view of that conventionality, conventional truths, which would be, you know, something really self-established, that's false. But these conventionalities function. You know, so some are accurate and some are not accurate. So it goes back to the Sautrantika definition of objective entities. They are things that perform a function. And so there are some that perform a function and others that uh, don't. So, so, can I say something? Yeah. This reminds me of, uh, there is a saying among uh, people who do mathematical models that say that all models are wrong, but some are useful. Right. Some are more wrong than others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Then, yeah. All are wrong. Right. Oh, they all are wrong, fine. of course. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> so this is, uh, you know, one of the big points. One of the main points, actually, that uh, Tsongkhapa makes. That you don't go to the, remember, the over-refuting and under-refuting. Over-refuting was that uh, everything is deceptive and that's it. So it's all garbage. And just go to Rikpa or, you know, whatever. Uh, there were, uh, and then... That's over-refuting. Under-refuting is to still leave something being self-established. That that accurate conventionalities are actually self-established and that they're not. So this was the main thrust of uh, what we were talking about in the um, Lamrim Chemo class that we uh, took a, a very long break from. <laughs> Okay? One more thing that I wanted to add. Now we go into Tantra, to Anutra Yoga Tantra. And, you know, you have the whole discussion of clear light mind. And that uh, the clear light mind with uh, the uh, subtlest, uh, so that's the subtlest mind together with the subtlest uh, energy wind, which is the, uh, it said like the mount of it, it's sort of the energy counterpart of it, and uh, the self as an imputation on that package, that uh, that then goes from lifetime to lifetime and connects with, you know, the uh, gross, um, well, in the case of human, the sperm and egg. And then as that uh, develops, then uh, the elements of the sperm and egg become the uh, basis for uh, the, uh, uh, the physical basis. And as uh, you get a grosser physical basis, 
then the uh, consciousness becomes gross in uh, uh, proportion to how gross that physical basis is. So either just a general, you know, um, channels and uh, uh, chakras, then you have conceptual mind, and uh, in terms of actual sense uh, apparatus, then you have a non-conceptual sense perception. So uh, you have like that. So now we can understand from our discussion the relation. What does that actually mean? Because it sounds almost like an Atman going into uh, you know a sperm and an egg and activating it. Well, it's not. Here's where we can apply what uh, we learned about uh, uh, the relation of the whole and the parts in terms of the uh, whole being an imputation on the parts. So the clear light mind and the, uh, sub so the subtlest mind and the subtlest wind, start with the subtlest wind, is an imputation on the elements, the gross elements of the body. There's no findable characteristic mark on the side of the wind. There's none on the side of the elements of the body. And similarly, the clear light mind is an imputation on the grosser levels of mind. And there's nothing findable, you know, no findable defining characteristic mark either of uh, the clear light mind or the grosser levels of mind, or if you want to say Rikpa and the uh, grosser levels of uh, mind. It's exactly the same thing. And the self is still just an imputation on that, on that whole package of the uh, subtle wind, subtlest wind on the uh, uh, grosser elements and the subtlest consciousness, together with that on the grosser levels of consciousness, and the self is an imputation on that. So like that, it is you can see that uh, you have something in common with the Hindu systems, that it is like, a, you know, you could, if you have that phenomenon actually happening with uh, rebirth, well, one way to understand it would be to think that that package of subtlest mind and uh, subtlest uh, wind and the self, that the self, well, the defining characteristic is, you know, it's findable, it's there, that's an Atman. And the Atman goes into the gross body. Whereas if you understand imputation in this uh, more elaborate, deeper way, in terms of prasangika, then you understand the relationship between the self, clear light mind, Clear light, subtlest wind, and the gross body and the gross mind. It's exactly the same as what we were discussing about the relation of the whole and parts and the self and the aggregates. So think about that. That is, uh, I think, extremely helpful for understanding this uh, whole thing of uh, rebirth, especially with uh, the... Uh, uh, presentation that you have either in uh, Dzogchen with Rikpa or in uh, uh, Nutri Yoga Tantra with Clear Light Mind. It's the same. But that clear light level is not active at the time, uh, you know, when it's associated with the uh, grosser levels. Either uh, you have to become aware that it's there, like in Rikpa, 
uh, or you know in uh, Dzogchen or you have to somehow um, withdraw that uh, clear light mind and so on from the uh, grosser levels on which it is an imputation. It says it relies on it, it's an imputation on it. And even when it is not relying on the um, grosser elements and the grosser uh, grosser minds that come from that, that package of clear light mind, subtlest wind, and uh, self. And, you know, Kala Chakra adds subtlest drop and subtlest sound into the package as well. Then uh, even that is not self-established. There's the self and (laughs) all the basis for imputation of uh, subtlest mind and subtlest wind. And even those are imputations on the continuity of it. You know, moment to moment, it is changing. So then you do the voidness of clear light mind, voidness of rikpa. So it all fits together. And in the West, we would say it's a soul that goes into the body. You know, everybody is trying to describe the same phenomenon. And this is the Buddhist explanation. And what the... uh, Buddha pointed out is, you know, if you believe in, you know, that there actually is an Atman or a soul that's self-established and goes into the body and so on, that's the basis for selfishness and all the, you know, problems that uh, come up with that. Self-centeredness and then all the disturbing emotions of anger and attachment and so on, because uh, it is not based on anything uh, real, these beliefs in a uh, soul or an Atman, then how do we experience that? We experience it as insecurity. We're trying to make something secure that can never be made secure because it doesn't exist. So Buddha taught his explanation to help beings overcome suffering. So that was the uh, final piece that I wanted to uh, add to uh, the icing on top of the cake (laughs) for this uh, series. 
Do you have some questions? Uh, yes, that is my uh, fault, is that I uh, say too much and uh, throw too much out. But uh, my uh, motivation is to actually uh, get it out there. And uh, that uh, obviously it's not, none of these points are things that uh, one can just uh, um, understand instantly unless you have. Uh, unbelievable uh, instincts from uh, previous lives and uh, there are things to work with which as an aside let me add that uh, you know one of the uh, benefits uh, or um, bonuses that you get from achieving uh, shamatha you know, a complete uh, stilled and settled state of mind. You know, perfect concentration is uh, the ability to remember your past lives. To remember means to be mindful of uh, past lives. And, uh, you know, as you go through the Bodhisattva Bhumis, they're able to, you know, remember a thousand lives and then 10,000 lives and then a hundred thousand lives, you know, and it goes up uh, exponentially from there. And, uh, did you ever think about why would you want to remember past lives? What difference does it make what your name was and where you lived? And, uh, you know, all these things. And experiences and teachings. And teachings. Yeah. That's exactly it. What you want is uh, the whole purpose of uh, remembering past lives, as far as I can make any sense out of it is that uh, all the things that you, all the realizations that you got, all the teachings that you got, the understandings that you got, which you forget when, uh, you know, with rebirth. I mean, come on, I'm 75 years old. I certainly don't remember high school algebra or geometry or any of these things, let alone, you know, what I might have studied in previous lives. So, uh, <laughs> like that. <laughs> what you want to do is to be able to revive those instincts because those habits or, or tendencies or whatever you want to call them, memories, is exactly the same thing. Those are uh, imputations on the mental continuum, uh, on the clear light mind, basically, and that it will continue. So they're there. You can't find them. They're not, you know, findably existence, self-established there, but with the proper circumstances, then uh, they could be activated again. Just as uh, you could remember what you did yesterday, you'd be able to remember what you uh, had learned and the realizations that you had in past lives. And that would be the great benefit. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Otherwise, you make so much project progress and then you have to start all over again. I mean, this is one of the things which is so horrible about samsara. You have to go to school again, and you have to learn everything again. You have to do... I mean, it's horrible. Especially, especially your past life have nothing to do with your personal happiness now. Uh, your past lives do have something to do with your personal happiness now because of karma. That uh, negative karma ripens <laughs> in uh, unhappiness and suffering, and positive karma in terms of happiness. 
So uh, there is a relation, but uh, it doesn't necessarily follow sequentially one lifetime from another. What you experience now could be the result of something you did a thousand lifetimes ago. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not uh, absolutely sequential. Mm-hmm. But what I had a friend, and he he make a, a back step in the back life, and he realized he was in the last last life a royal. And he asked me if uh, if if I would accept to call him excellent and. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so I told him, okay, now this life you plumper. So, and as when he was a royal, your job was not so good. <laughs> you know, that you have this life a plumper, so why I should call you accident? After right. that, I mean, never talk to me, you know. I mean. well, also, it's very interesting when people have uh, think in terms of past lives and past life experiences. They always think that they were some great being, you know, a king or a queen, Cleopatra or never Napoleon, and never. never that they were, you know, some, uh, you know, a cockroach. You know, who remembers? <laughs> In a past lifetime, I was a rat. Uh, <laughs> a garbage man, you know, a, a beggar. There's always something, you know, ah, fantastic. So this is complete garbage. <laughs> complete garbage. Very unlikely. <laughs> Yes, you think that you not. were Napoleon. Horrible karma, I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> the the one, one time I from, from St. Sinias, a group in Stuttgart, we make, they make a lot of, uh, always going back into life, you know, make rituals, you burn some bread, and you sit and meditate, and uh, then you go back in the years, you know. So you stuck really in the back of the life, So one, but one guy don't come back in the, in the, in the real life, and he started going down in the car and crashed the car immediately because he don't know how to drive anymore. Hmm. <laughs> he was so confused, he started the car on the board. So he had regressed to being a baby and didn't know how to drive a car anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then had an accident. A very funny experience. So yeah. I mean, I think that all of this uh, stuff about uh, regression and uh, trying to revive uh, past memories and so on, that uh, they're not always accurate. I think that this is what, uh, you know, repressed trauma and things like that of something that happened, uh, you know, 30 years ago. Sometimes they're accurate, but not 100% accurate. Sometimes they're not. Just as, you know, when you wake up, sometimes, you know, when you're having a very strong dream you don't know which you know, was the reality. Mm. Yeah, already when we think about what happened 20 years ago, mm. she has a completely different version of the same event than I do. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That, something that happened yesterday, not 20 years ago. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. If you have a long-time partner, you know, for many, many years, what you remember and what your partner remembers of the same event, hardly ever coincides. Yeah. <laughs> I say it's one day, even from last day, week. One day. <laughs> right. Even this morning. Yeah, this morning. Right. <laughs> she forget to make the wash. <laughs> right. So, uh, this was, uh, came from the point of uh, this material is quite difficult 
and very deep and unless we have you know tremendous um, habits or memories from previous lives of having uh, worked with this material and understood it like uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama Sirkin Rinpoche always said you know he only had to be told or explained something once and then he got it he remembered it uh, except, so except it's not true he was not explained this once because he was explained this many yeah no but I mean in this lifetime yeah, you know yeah, during yeah. his lessons you never had to explain anything to him twice you know he got it the first time so you know if we have these strong instincts from previous lives then it works like that you know so some kids you know learn mathematics very very easily and other kids have a great deal of difficulty oh musicians Pardon? Oh, musicians. musicians. It's the same oh, thing with musician. So it's like that with uh, the teachings as well. Well, with any field of knowledge. Some kids are, you know, have it very easy in school and others more difficult. You know, learning how to write. Or to read. So, we... Uh, have that. So maybe that's enough of uh, this. So we end with the dedication. We think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to reach the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of all.